Oh my God, last weekend, let me tell you, I've been watching a lot of movies because I was sick. So last weekend I was watching this movie called Mac and Me. Have you seen it? If you don't know what I'm talking about it, Google it. It's this alien, it's terrifying. It was essentially McDonald's version of E.T. Yes, McDonald's, the burger place. How, why, I don't know, but whatever. So this little alien dude is terrifying and to this day kind of haunts me. What am I getting at? Well. I was watching this movie and in it, like they have this scene that's all wild with the FBI and everyone's like, "Ah." and then it got me thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, I was smoking a little bit of the devil's less. And I was like, what the FBI? I really don't even know that much about the FBI, you know? So I started Googling. Anyways, I went down a rabbit hole and um, I learned a lot about the FBI. And it turns out uh, just like everything else, just got a dark history. friends, I hope you are having a wonderful day today. My name is Bailey Sarian and I'd like to welcome you to my podcast, Dark History. If you're new here, listen. Here, we believe history does not have to be boring. Usually it's like tragic a lot of the times. Sometimes it's happy. And a lot of it can make people uncomfortable, but it's the truth and either way, it's our dark history. So all you have to do is sit back, relax, and let's talk about that hot, juicy history gas because the Federal Bureau of Investigation or the FBI, they are everywhere. You've seen them in all of your favorite movies, most likely at some point, television programs, murder mystery makeup. They seem to have a mystery surrounding them. Like imagine all the juicy secrets they know. Oh, I know, I wanna be in the FBI so bad. I wanna be on the CIA. Me with um, confidential papers? Yeah, that would be a good time. But anyways, FBI. Uh, When I was researching them, I came across one name over and over again, and I've heard this name a lot, John Edgar Hoover, because I was like, oh my God, yeah, I love those vacuums. My grandma had one, and like, it was so good, and then they just disappeared. Turns out, it has nothing to do with vacuums, this man, no. I read that Hoover helped create the FBI, as like we know it today, single-handedly changed the directions of the United States by being like the pettiest, the snoopiest, the slimiest little bitch ever. (sighs) Let me tell you about him. Okay, so who's Hoover? Because we know now that it's not a vacuum. (laughs) Hoover was born in 1895 into a good old fashioned Protestant middle-class family in Washington, DC. His family had worked for the government for generations and generations. So working for the government was really baked into his brain from a very young age. Hoover was known to be like a very competitive person. He had a lot of ambitions and he was not gonna let anything stand in his way. But he had speech problems where he would stutter when he talked and like when you're a kid growing up and you stutter, that shit sucks. So to overcome this, Hoover would just talk really, really fast. He made it a point to get like the first and last word in and this really laid the foundation for like his whole personality. He just steamrolled his way through everything. So his family had worked in the government, so it only made sense that he wanted to work in politics, but he wanted to do it his way. And his way was just a a lot more shady. Well, at the age of 18, Hoover started out in the Library of Congress where he worked for two years. And while he worked there, I guess he just like fell in love with what he did with just America the Beautiful. 
purple mountain majesties, you know? But he did absolutely like love his job. This is where he really found himself. And to be honest, he essentially found like a new identity. While working at the Library of Congress, he had access to tons of classified information. Things that we would want to see, but they'll never let us see, you know? During his time working there, he essentially became an encyclopedia of classified information. Mmm. I'd want to be his friend. But like he wasn't doing anything with this information. He was just storing it. Kind of like when you know when you get in a fight with your boyfriend and you're just collecting all that shit he said or done, saving it for the one day you know you're gonna snap. And you're like, remember six months ago? I went through your DMs and I saw that six years ago you DM'd your girlfriend from fourth grade. What was that about? Well, think of America as like the boyfriend and Hoover as the petty girlfriend, you know? I think. Hoover was saving this information to bring up and maybe rub in other people's faces. But then in 1917, World War I was heating up. The United States started a mandatory military draft. And like a lot of young men, Hoover was expected to enlist and serve his country. But I guess he wasn't able to. Hoover's father suffered from major depression most of his life, and he had been institutionalized and medicated, but unfortunately, nothing seemed to really help him. Hoover's father wasn't really able to work and like provide for the family, so naturally, Hoover had to pick up the slack and financially support the family. And I guess because he couldn't go to war, this left him feeling a little embarrassed because he wanted to serve his country. He was like, he loved America, you know what I'm saying? He got the America tramp stamp. So the fact that he couldn't go was just like soul crushing. In 1917, Hoover lucked out and got this incredible job working as a clerk in the Department of Justice. Yeah. Not long after he started working there, it became very clear that the Department of Justice was a goddamn mess. And guess what year this was? 1919. Yeah, I'm rolling my eyes in the back of my head right now if you can't see, because if you haven't noticed, 1919, this season on Dark History has been just the running theme, right? Nothing good happened in 1919. Okay, not to get all conspiracy, but like 1919, those are two of the same numbers, right? And then 2020 was a really bad year, and those are the two same numbers too. Remember 2020? So my New Year's resolution this year is to say yes to more things so I can actually leave the house and do stuff and also just take care of myself, self-care. And part of that self-care is always my skincare routine. And that's why I'm always excited to partner with Apostrophe. Uh, If you haven't heard me talk about Apostrophe, then listen, because it's the best, let me tell you. Apostrophe is an online platform that hooks you up with like an expert dermatology team, and they give you customized skincare treatments for anything of your concern, from dark spots to redness, hormonal breakouts, acne, on the face, on the body, wherever. They've got you covered. All you have to do is simply fill out their online consultation about like your skin goals and your medical history. Then you're gonna like take pictures of your, of your skin, upload it, and then a dermatologist will create a custom treatment plan just for you and whatever your skincare goals are. So it covers everything. I mean, they, oral medication, topical medication, creams, sunscreen, they got it all, whatever you need. And on top of that, it gets delivered right to you. So you don't even have to leave the house. Ah, even though my New Year's resolution is to leave the house more, Still not gonna. Okay, I've mentioned this numerous times throughout the years. Whenever I get stressed, unfortunately, it shows on my face. I get hormonal breakouts all right here, all along my jawline. I don't know if you could see it now. 
if you're listening to this, you probably can't, but I'm breaking out because I'm stressed. But with Apostrophe, they give me topical creams and also oral medication to help control the hormonal breakouts. And I have been relying on Apostrophe for years now. I love them. Highly recommend. I know this is an ad, but I keep doing Apostrophe because it's the best. They've got my skin right. So listen. If you're interested, we have a special deal for our audience. You can get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash dark history when you use our code dark history. Now that's a savings of $15. And this code is only available to you, our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash dark history, and then you're going to click get started. Then you use our code during history at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. A big thank you to Apostrophe for sponsoring today's episode. Now let's get back to today's story. So during this time, there was a huge panic about communism. Like everyone in America had had their panties in a twist because they believed that all communism was essentially anarchy. And if that idea came to America, it would mean everything would collapse. Aww, you know, panic. So many Americans and their leaders were really living in fear. Plus, Hoover's boss, who was the attorney general at the time, his name was Palmer. He recently had his home bombed by a group of anarchists. And I guess they thought like he sucked. So they bombed his house. Now, when his house got bombed, that was like the last straw, you know? And like, it's just like that Arthur meme when his fists are all tight and he's like, gotta make some changes. He's mad. So Palmer decided to lead a campaign where the Department of Justice or the DOJ were trying to hunt down and arrest anyone who seemed anti-American. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure that's gonna go really well because it was based off nothing. It was very vague. And they're like, well, what do we look out for? Well, they had Mr. Hoover, the department's number one fanboy, run this campaign. So Hoover, he takes this position and he took it very seriously. Yeah, if you were someone who was obviously anti-war or let's say you maybe had a family member in Russia or maybe even just like breathed too loudly, burned at the stake. Hoover was worried that this radical behavior would be like fleas. It would just spread everywhere, all across America. So he felt it was his job to be the exterminator. Get it, fleas, exterminator. That I just think that's great. But the problem was the rules were a little loosey-goosey, you know? As the investigation started, it became less about the evidence and more about (laughs) Palmer and Hoover's paranoia. And unfortunately for thousands of people, their paranoia led to literal torture. Hoover's here to suck up all the communism. Hoover helped launch the first wave of what became known as the Palmer Raids. So in 11 cities across America, police and agents from the Department of Justice, they kicked in the doors and they broke their way into homes and businesses, arresting people without warrants, beating them, starving them, and even torturing them. Or some, not all of them. Just because they thought they were anti-American. In New York, there was a teacher who was suspected of supporting the communist cause. So armed agents, they ended up storming the school. They interrupt like an algebra class, grab the teacher, beat the teacher in front of the students. Yep. And then um, arrested them. 
A thousand people were arrested in those first raids, but Hoover and Palmer must have felt like that just wasn't enough. They needed more. Because on January 2nd, 1920, agents conducted raids in 33 more American cities like Boston, Chicago, and Detroit. And they arrested around 3,000 more people in what became known as the second wave of the Palmer Raids. Hoover got word that there were radicals infiltrating the system. They were said to be taking over places like union halls and bookstores. There was this rumor over in Chicago that they were planning to turn off the city's electricity and steal all the food. Who? Again, they didn't have search warrants or anything. That didn't matter. It was fair game at this point. They just went around the kickdown doors and they did whatever the if they wanted to. It was even reported that family members of prisoners were assaulted in front of their very eyes as part of like the interrogation. I mean, who are these people just coming? Like what? Yeah. Anyways. Hoover and Palmer arrested, abused, and interrogated thousands of innocent American citizens and immigrants. They deported almost 600 people, even if America was like the only home they knew. And it didn't matter if they were guilty or not. Suspicion was all Hoover needed. Thousands of families' lives and reputations were completely ruined based on no evidence at all. They're like, hey, you wore a red shirt one time. We saw that. You're out of here, buddy. Get the fuck out. More like the Department of Injustice. Am I right? (laughs) Thank you guys. I love when you guys cheer me on. It just really makes me feel good inside. And here's a fun fact. You know the American Civil Liberties Union? ACLU. Hi. It was created in 1920 because of these horrible Palmer raids. So the newspapers are like reporting on all this, the innocent people getting arrested, the businesses being destroyed. And like, there were so many lives that were just ruined. The everyday American was frustrated, upset, angry as they should be. And they were looking for someone to blame. And that person was Palmer. Everyone's mad at Palmer. This guy sucks ass. And he was forced to resign in disgrace. The whole thing looked like it was his fault. But Hoover, he was just like, oopsie, I'll hide out in the back. Let me know how it goes. Palmer, bye. So in the end, he came out of the Palmer raids completely scot-free. Hoover became seen as like a loyal patriot to his country because in America's eyes, he was taking care of like the communist problem and was keeping everyone safe. That's why in 1924, President Calvin Coolidge, I know, I was like, any relation to Jennifer? (laughs) Turns out, side note, yes. Google it. He appointed a 29-year-old Hoover to the head of the FBI. And apparently, for Hoover and his nosy ass, this was his dream. He had access to even deeper secrets. He had more power and he received major respect. But that wasn't just within the government. I mean, the American people believed the FBI was just one big scandal after another. I mean, especially after those raids. So Hoover's first order of business was to make the FBI not only scandal-free, but respectable. It's essentially a rebrand. He had a huge obstacle to overcome, like bootleggers, gangsters, robbers, and even Hollywood. Yes, Hollywood. During the first decade of Hoover's reign from the mid-1920s to the mid-1930s, the big thing that was happening was a boom in organized crime. And Hollywood was eating this up because these lawless men made incredible characters for the big screen, right? They were above the rules and did whatever they wanted with their iconic fedoras on. And they looked cool, allegedly, I don't know. Hollywood just full on romanticized criminals. 
So much so that they kind of became heroes to the American people. I imagine like Hoover rubbing his little, little, little gross, little snaky, gross little paws together. He's like, mm, Hollywood, making crime books sexy. No. So Hoover wanted to give the FBI a makeover. And he was like, hey, all the agents should maybe look more like me. He's like, I look great, don't I, everyone? Better say yes. Hoover hired what he believed was an elite group of men for his team. He wanted white, clean cut, college educated, wonder bread. You know what I mean? Like moral young men in suits. They also had to remain sober and celibate, allegedly, which is like, oh no, this is not great. Any sexual relations with women were strictly prohibited because women would be distracting to their work. So instead of boozing and boning, these men were expected to take themselves down to the FBI training school and learn some shit. Paul's dressed up like an agent. He's been boning. Paul never wears pants. He's always boning. Well, Hoover did all of this because he wanted to be very clear. When you lay eyes on an FBI agent, you know exactly what it is, right? He wanted to brand the FBI to represent like the righteous, upstanding good guys fighting against America's bad boys. Just because it was branded that way doesn't mean like, you know, that's how Hoover himself had to act. Nay, nay, we're here, aren't we? Have you ever heard of those wellness retreats? Super fancy for the bougie people. People fly across the world to like sit in a giant hotel conference room with like 350 other people, all to see some kind of guru promise to fix their lives in just eight days if you buy all of their stuff, you know? It's just like thousands of dollars. What if I told you? You can get all of that like valuable wellness teaching right now without going anywhere and absolutely free. Free? Yeah. Meet Audible. If you don't know, I don't know where you've been, but Audible is the home of storytelling. It lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one easy to use app. And they even offer an incredible selection of titles. I'm talking, there's a ton, everything. Audiobooks, podcasts, meditation, anything you can think of, it's on there. There's bestsellers, new releases, celeb memoirs, mysteries, thrillers, ah. Uh, and of course, wellness. Whether you need some motivation, inspiration, or maybe some encouragement, Audible connects you with content that will help you get closer to being the best version of you if you want. Celeb memoirs are always my favorite. Right now I'm listening to the new Barbara Streisand book. Yesterday I was like cleaning out my closet and I was just listening to it. It's so good so far. If this sounds like your cup of tea, visit audible.com slash dark history, or you can text Dark History to 500, 500. New users can try Audible Premium Plus for free for 30 days. That's audible.com slash dark history or text dark history to 500500. A big thank you to Audible for partnering with me on today's episode. Now let's get back to the story. Hoover's favorite thing to do seemed to be arresting and personally interrogating people fun. But at some point, like maybe he got a little bored and he wanted to catch these communists quicker. And what would be the best way? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Well, by listening in on their phone calls. Because on phone calls, that's definitely where people are talking about burning their flags this Saturday, you know? So they're going to catch him there. Okay, so under his watch, the FBI started doing surveillance on people, spying on people's every move in public and in private, which I couldn't believe they were actually like wiretapping and like listening to people back in the 
1920s, right? I don't know, I just thought maybe that was something newer. Silly, what did I know? Nothing. So they were able to do this by using informants, AKA people who were paid to spy on potential threats. But they also used other extremely intrusive technology like wiretaps, where there's a little device listening in on all of your calls. And they also used microphone bugs, which were like little listening devices that could be placed secretly in houses, cars, offices, wherever the fuck they wanted, you know? Another popular method back then was opening up people's mail. This is back when like mail was like, you could get a lot of personal info on anybody just by their mail. I mean, yeah, it was technically illegal, but they had a loophole for that. I mean, they're the FBI. What are you gonna do, you know? But it didn't stop there. I mean, the government would straight up break into people's houses to take whatever looked quote unquote suspicious. They essentially wanted some kind of evidence proving that these people were anti-American so that they could nail them, arrest them, and tell everyone that, you know, they're keeping the country safe. Between the years 1972 and 1974, it was documented that the Bureau planted over 500 listening devices without a warrant and opened over 2,000 pieces of personal mail. Yeah, illegal, even at the time, illegal. Basically, Hoover wanted the message to be out there that, look, hey, the FBI is watching you, so don't fuck it up. And this cool, powerful government man look started to take over society. Like Hoover was giving off this idea of a strong-rooted government and that his agents were everywhere. Now, remember how I said Hoover would uh, talk over people and like bulldoze his way over everyone? Yeah, so that's not something he grew out of. There were reports that said Hoover was an extremely jealous and paranoid person. If an agent was maybe getting more attention than he was fired. If he thought an agent was talking shit behind his back, even if no evidence, fired. If he thought an agent was too overweight for the job, fired. Even though it was said that Hoover had some juicy thighs himself, but okay, he wasn't gonna fire himself, come on. Also, Hoover didn't just target the men in his ranks. He looked around at all the women working at the FBI and was like, they have no business being here. Titties, ill, fired. Yeah, I guess in one day, like Hoover fired all the women in the office because he believed that they were quote, unpredictable, end quote. I mean, honestly, in my personal opinion, I think that's fair because if you catch me on a Tuesday versus a Thursday, I am two totally different people. Some would say unpredictable, you know? Where's the lie? Maybe just it applies to me, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to generalize, but to the people in power, it appeared that Hoover was like really doing a great job in keeping America safe. And like all of his hard work was definitely paying off. But all this was happening behind closed doors. So Hoover is still like trying to prove himself to the public. And at this time, the US was like having a hard time catching some of its most infamous criminals. Like for example, a man named John Dillinger. He was known for his super flashy, violent robberies. Like he stole millions from banks, grocery stores, even police stations. Like it's pretty embarrassing for them that he robbed a police station. How do you even do that? I don't know, but he did it. So to the public, John was known as like a Robin Hood. No one could get this guy either. The Chicago Police Department, obviously they did not like this guy, but they couldn't catch him. So then the FBI starts tracking him and they caught him in a matter of months. And not only that, Hoover made sure that his agents killed him in public in a blaze of glory. You know, 
to show everyone. Look, the media immediately gave most of the credit to Hoover, making him out to be like this great American hero. So Hoover was put on the cover of Time Magazine in 1935, which is like a big deal at the time. This is major. He was showered with praise from the media, the public, everyone. But this wasn't what got him excited. This didn't give him a boner. This victory against John Dillinger caught the attention of the president of the United States at the time, President Roosevelt. He was so impressed with how successful Hoover was at turning around the public image of the FBI. He was like, wow, you did it. So he told him to go ahead and ramp up their surveillance. I mean, he earned it. He's like, you get a camera, you get a camera, you everybody gets a camera. FDR wanted Hoover to keep him informed on any anti-American activities in the U.S. And Hoover was like, oh my God, yay, say less. Hoover used this as an opportunity to spy on any American he wanted for the sake of the president, of course. Don't be silly. Once again, just following orders. And this is where things start to get even shadier. A little something called the custodial detention list was created. And on it is the name of every single person the FBI was currently watching. Okay, so he has this list and I was reading this list and I was like, what? Those random people on it. You know who was on it? Helen Keller was on this list. Have I ever told you my story about Lizzie Borden and Helen Keller? I've told a couple of times, it's kind of embarrassing, but I like to laugh and I know you do too. So I used to get Helen Keller and Lizzie Borden not mixed up. I used to think they were the same person. I thought Helen Keller was deaf, blind, and killed her whole family with an ax. I was like, holy shit, no wonder Helen Keller was like so famous. Like she did all that. She wrote a book. She murdered her whole family. Plus she was blind and deaf, like, whoa. And then it turns out two different people, Lizzie Borden killed people with an ax, you know, Helen Keller. Didn't kill anyone, I guess, just a eugenicist. Honestly, it, it's a little embarrassing how long I thought the two of them were the same person. I think it was like a couple years ago. I was like, what? So guess who else was on this list? Liberace, yeah, the Grateful Dead. And one of my personal favorites, Colonel Sanders. Give it up for Colonel. <laughs> Hoover believed Americans were on the pathway to hell. Party. Their morals were all out of whack. It's giving graham cracker. Remember that episode, graham cracker? It's giving that. And Hoover thought it was all thanks to the one group of people, the intellectuals. Mm. He believed that free thinkers were the ones spreading radical ideas, that their brains and their knowledge were very anti-American. Hoover was even tracking people like Albert Einstein because he dared to challenge the world around him. It seemed like Hoover wanted a nation of Christians who just did what they were told, a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off, you know? Hoover often said that all of America's problems could be solved if people would only accept Jesus in their heart. Religious leaders and publications across America loved this because they thought it was cool that someone in the government was spreading the word of God. I mean, praise God, right? Remember those t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy? He, Hoover, would have one of those for sure. Uh, but Hoover believed anyone who was against God's teachings was a communist who wanted America to fail, period. So for decades, there was an agreement with Hoover and big religious leaders. So Hoover would write these essays to the different pastors and people like, hey, America is going to hell, right? And like, we need to be 
fearful of this and just really making everyone think that the only thing to keep them from straying off this the path was like a righteous government. And pastors would either publish his articles or read them word for word during Sunday services. Now, at the same time he's doing all that, Hoover is creating something called the Obscene File, which was essentially a giant collection of obscene material that Hoover somehow got his hands on. Now, what was the material, you ask? Like, what was so obscene? Well, it was nudes and like hardcore pornography. It was for research, of course. The FBI would conduct raids and then Hoover would personally go through everything and confiscate certain items. In the early 20s, if you were like a wannabe actor, most likely you would take any work that you could get. And like sometimes that work meant that maybe it would be like an adult film. There's rumors out there that some big names like Frank Sinatra, like he made, he made some naughty movies to make ends meet before he got famous. And I was like, what? Drop the link down below. <laughs> Let me know. And like once he did get fr famous, Frank just really hoped that like, you know, no one would ever see that. But Hoover knew these things existed and if he could get his hands on them, it would be very valuable. So this was Hoover's MO, collecting secret porn of famous people in Hollywood and then letting them know he had it. And he even did this with politicians and other power players in Washington, DC, which I was like, hmm, isn't this called extortion or something like that? I don't know. Hoover was said to have the largest porn collection in the whole United States. Congratulations, Hoover, you did it. Again, for the purposes of national security. But that left me with so many questions. Did he have like a room fully dedicated to all this porn? Did you think he had some of it hung on his walls for evidence? They needed further investigating, maybe? I don't know. Were they organized and put into certain sections, files? I'm very curious as to how this porn was kept. Let me know your theories down below. I like to imagine that he was, um, cause I love to do like scrapbooking and um, collages. Oh, I love making collages. So I just, in my mind, I'm imagining Hoover sitting there and like cutting out the little guys and like putting them on his wall and making this big porn collection wall collage thing. What do you think? Let me know. Okay. The reason he had this collection was because it gave him blackmail on these famous politicians, celebrities, people in the government. He had something on it all. So Hoover was still going around America telling everyone like, America's going to hell and I'm the only one who can fix this country. Just believe in me and my team. And Hoover believed one of the big reasons America was in the shitter was because of Dun, 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 immoral gay people. Now this part made me giggle. Cause I was like, oh my God, isn't it a little ironic that he's collecting all this porn? A lot of it is gay porn, but he's saying everyone is immoral. Isn't porn sin number one or something like that? Okay, dude. Every time I have friends over for dinner or even lunch or just like, just over, I get so stressed. I'm not a good hostess. It's like, what do I get? Do I have enough food? What am I supposed to serve you? Do you like, here's some chips. I have this idea in my mind, like I wanna be like Martha Stewart where it's like I have people come over and I'm like, oh, I made all this. Oh yes, the flowers. Like I wanna be that person, right? But it's hard. But here's some amazing news. All that stress can be a thing of the past with HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you can get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip all 
the trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Stress? What's that? Don't know it. You won't have it because each of their boxes are packed with all the ingredients pre-portioned for you. So you don't even have to like prep or anything, you know? And not only that, you can pick your meals in advance. So you can choose the delivery date and HelloFresh handles meal planning and the shopping for you. So my days are usually jam-packed. And then by the time I get home, it's like, what do I want for dinner? The last thing I wanna do is cook or whatever, you know? But that's when I turn to HelloFresh's line of quick and easy meals. That was my nickname. And that still is my nickname, quick and easy. <laughs> but their quick and easy meals, they include their 15 minute recipes. Yeah, so it's like, if you're tired, you, you got 15 minutes, come on. If this sounds like something maybe you wanna try, go to hellofresh.com slash darkhistoryfree and use code darkhistoryfree for free breakfast for life. Yeah, free breakfast for life. You heard that right. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash darkhistory with code darkhistoryfree. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Along with that obscene file, Hoover put together a secret operation called the Sex Deviates Program. And then the whole point of this was to target, track, and harass gay men and women and their organizations. Now, this wasn't some small project. The file was made up of something like 350,000 pages of information. Holy Toledo, I know. And Hoover didn't just think gay people were immoral. He believed they were a national security risk. Oh my God, how? That butt sex is a national security risk? Interesting. So Hoover believed that homosexual Americans could be blackmailed for being gay. So like, let's say like uh, Russia. Russia could threaten to out a gay American, which could cost someone their life, unless they become a spy and turn over American secrets. So then they would like comply and like Hoover's thinking this is probably happening all the time. I don't know. And I, I got to find out. So he felt like he had to track anyone who was a homosexual just in case, you know? But here's the reality of it. Author Douglas Charles detailed this sex deviance program in his book called Hoover's War on Gays. <laughs> Hoover's War. I don't know why I yelled that. Hoover's War on Gays. In the book, Douglas shows that Hoover's FBI was motivated by it quote, overarching and intense fear and loathing of gays, end quote. Now here's the thing, while Hoover was pointing the finger at all these sinners, he of course had a closet full of fabulous shoes, honey, fur, honey, aka skeletons he didn't want anyone to know about. Over the years, authors and researchers have presented compelling evidence that J. Edgar Hoover was, plot twist, a closeted bisexual man. So a majority of that giant porn collection featured like super hot male celeb full frontals. Right, and uh, amongst it was like celebrities uh, like Elvis, James Dean, Frank Sinatra, and I remember, but also it just, it goes deeper. In 1930, a man named Clyde Tolson was the associate director of the FBI, and Hoover was his boss. And it was said that the two of them were like Batman and Robin. Clyde helped Hoover build the FBI into the mega agency that Hoover wanted it to be. 
and the two of them worked side by side to arrest a major bank robber in 1936. So they're like, yeah, high-fiving, wearing tights, just being great. Then in 1942, Clyde proved his abilities even more when he captured some Nazis living in Long Island and in Florida. I mean, this guy was a super agent. He was getting the real bad guys. And Hoover took notice. And on top of that, maybe thought he had a nice ass. I don't know. As the years went on, Hoover and Clyde got closer and closer. They rode to work together. They ate lunch. They did everything together. Like, if Hoover got invited somewhere, Clyde was always his plus one. And everyone would know that they knew that Clyde would be there, you know? And then a letter that was written in 1943 was unearthed. Maybe one of the family members came across it, but Hoover had written to Clyde a lovely letter. And in this letter, Hoover says, quote, words are mere man-given symbols for thoughts and feelings, and they are grossly insufficient to express the thoughts in my mind and the feelings in my heart that I have for you. I hope I will always have you beside me, end quote. Is that so sweet? Aw, Hoovey. Hoover left his entire estate to Clyde in his will, so Clyde's like, fuck yeah. So many have asked, like, were they just life companions, work besties, or lovers? We'll never know. What we do know is that Hoover was scared shitless of the mob, and the possible reason is wild. When it comes to this part of Hoover's story, there are layers within, it's a freaking eight-layer burrito, which are pretty good. Have you had one? not sponsored. Because Hoover is famous for saying like, there is no mafia. Hoover even banned his agents from saying the word mafia. He essentially denied the existence of the mob as a giant coordinated organization. Some say this is because Hoover hated long drawn out investigations and just didn't want to deal with it. He was bored. He's like, I have to look at my porn. I don't have time for this mafia thing. Like other experts say Hoover knew exactly how powerful the mob was. I mean, they had enough money, power, and influence to buy off FBI agents. And if that happened, it would shatter the bulletproof public image of the FBI Hoover was so obsessed about. But there was like a juicier third reason why Hoover didn't want to go after the mob. Rumor has it that some major mafia figures not only knew about Hoover's sexuality, but also had compromising photos of him and Clyde. <gasps> oh, oh, what's that called? Is that karma? According to a report from The Guardian, Meyer Lansky, who was one of the mafia's most powerful figures of all time, was said to have, quote, pictures of Hoover in some kind of gay situation, unquote. Apparently, mob bosses sent some letters over to Hoover. God knows what was in them. We know that letters were sent. But many believe it was like enough to scare Hoover into making sure that the FBI would not go after the mob. They had their own game, okay? I mean, reap what you sow, man. And what you sow, that shit ain't you. Hoover got so out of control collecting private information, even presidents were scared that he might have a file on them. President Harry S. Truman even said, quote, Edgar Hoover would give his right eye to take over and all congressmen and senators are afraid of him, end quote. That's wild, huh? But Hoover, he didn't care. He probably liked it, you know? The only thing he learned was that there was power in blackmailing people. Having valuable information could get them to do whatever he wanted them to do. And he loved it. And that's the thing, like this wasn't just a Hoover problem. This was also 
on the FBI agents who worked under him. Everyone who supported Hoover essentially put their stamp of approval on like the dirty shit he did by not standing up to him. Maybe they agreed with what he was doing, or maybe Hoover had a ton of info on his own people so that they were forced to dance to his fucked up tune, or maybe they just weren't paying attention. But either way, they let Hoover grow into this monster with unchecked power and became one of the most powerful Americans of all time. J. Edgar Hoover served as the head of the FBI for a total of 48 years. That's a long time. I know, a long time. Which means he worked under eight different presidents. And that's, again, a long time for one person to be running the most powerful organizations in the country. They should put time limits on these things, right? That just makes me think he must have had some good dirt on these people. And I want to see, like, release the photos, but I get it, like, don't. But, like, maybe, but, like, don't. But I would look, but don't. So he was featured on the cover of Time Magazine one final time, this time in the year 1975. Like he lived way too long, right? Uh, and this time they weren't celebrating him. The cover said, the truth about Hoover. And it was like a picture of him mean mugging someone, which is like super interesting if you compare this cover to the one that he got in 1935, you know? It's almost like his story has come full circle, you know? Hoover went from lowly clerk to the most powerful man in America to one of the most hated. The reason why America started to turn sour on Hoover was because in March of 1971, a few renegade Americans broke into an FBI field office, stole a bunch of files, and gathered a ton of crap on Hoover. They then went to the media and they did their own little expose showing everyone what a true slime ball he really was. And then two months later, he died. Hoover, dead. Yeah, I guess on May 2nd, 1971, Hoover died of a heart attack. Ugh, I guess him finally getting outed, like his stuff probably made him freak out and he had a heart attack and died. Or maybe carrying everyone's shit is pretty stressful. Even with all the controversy, Hoover refused to retire. He was such a stubborn old man, asshole, hypocritical piece of shit. On March 8th, 1971, it was revealed that Hoover was the mastermind behind a top secret FBI project called COINTELPRO. Now this was short, for the Counter Intelligence Program. This illegal project quietly ran for about 15 years and set out to spy on, infiltrate, and destroy political organizations and civil rights groups. Between the spying and the legal murder of a beloved civil rights leader, America's relationship with the government was changed forever. Tune in next week when we unpack Hoover's worst abuse of power, COINTELPRO. Hey, join me over on my YouTube where you can watch these episodes on Thursday after the podcast airs. And while you're there, you can also check out my murder mystery and makeup. I'd love to hear your guys' reactions to today's story. So make sure to use the hashtag darkhistory over on social media so I can follow along and see what you're saying and like read your comments here. Like I'm going to right now. Ray left us a comment on the branches of government episode saying, quote, took me 12 minutes before I realized this wasn't a dark history about pizza and devil's lettuce hitting hard. IG, end quote. Really? Is that not what it was about? <laughs> I'm glad you figured it out. Did you learn anything new? Let me know. Samantha left us an episode suggestion. You should look into Black Rock. They are a company that is all encompassing and they buy a lot of land and control a lot. 
They are the largest asset manager in the world. Dot, dot, dot. Shady stuff. What? Huh? I've never heard of this. What's it called? Black Rock? Okay. You've got me intrigued. I'll definitely look into this. You know, I do stay up late at night sometimes and I'm like, what happens when they buy up all the land and we don't have anything, like nothing, we don't own anything anymore, you know? I do think about that a lot. I will be looking into this. Thank you so much. Dark History is an audio boom original. This podcast is executive produced by Bailey Sarian, Junia McNeely from Three Arts, Kevin Grush, and Matt Enlow from Maiden Network. Writers, Joey Scavuzzo, Katie Burris, Allison Pilobos, and me, Bailey Sarian. Production lead, Brian Jaggers. Research provided by Xander Elmore. Special thank you to our expert, Dr. Yahuru Williams. And I'm your host, Bailey Sarian. I love you for watching and I love you for um, hanging out with me, commenting, engaging. I hope you have a good rest of your day. You make good choices. And I'll be talking to you guys later. Bye.